X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jeff Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday, February 11th. Today, back in the day, February 11th, 1990, Nelson Mandela was released from prison. Mandela is known the world over as South Africa's first black president, who's a leading force in ending his country's apartheid system of racial segregation. Before this peaceful transition, Mandela was targeted by authorities for his anti-apartheid activism. He was arrested and imprisoned in 1962 after years of activist work. He remained incarcerated for the next 27 years. Finally, in 1990, under South African President F.W. de Klerk, Mandela was released. He quickly became president of the African National Congress Party. He led the party in peaceful negotiations with de Klerk to transition to a multiracial democracy in South Africa. Mandela and de Klerk were jointly awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1993. During Mandela's time in jail, the U.S. maintained corporate investment in apartheid South Africa. The U.S. government considered Nelson Mandela a terrorist. He remained on U.S. terror watch lists until 2008. He became president of South Africa in 1994, and I had the pleasure of seeing him speak in 1998 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Passed away in 2013. It is Black History Month, and we're highlighting the lives and achievements of black Oregonians. Today, we remember William Hilliard, the first black reporter at the Oregonian newspaper. He became the first black editor-in-chief at the same paper in 1987. Hilliard moved to Portland at the age of eight. As a child, he applied for a job delivering newspapers for the Oregonian. His application was rejected because of his race. He graduated from Benson High School, where he worked on the school paper. In 1952, he earned a journalism degree from Pacific University in Forest Grove. At the age of 25, he became the Oregonian's first black employee. He was first hired as a copy clerk before working his way up over the years to become editor-in-chief. He also became the first black person elected president of the American Society of News Editors. He passed away in Portland in 2017. Today we have Bike Portland's editor-in-chief, Jonathan Moss. X-Ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. There's a storm a-coming! So say all our weather apps. Just as we thought, spring was around the corner and the northwest is entering a winter storm morning starting at noon today. Greater Portland is expecting a heavy precipitation and a high likelihood of snow. Areas to the east and north of Portland have more chance of snow. Precipitation warms up at the valley floor. The National Weather Service warns of power outages and fallen trees due to wind and ice. They recommend staying home, but if travel is necessary, flashlights and extra food are wise to bring along. Here at the local, we're avoiding snow-related conversations with our Midwest-born neighbors. Swiss to avoid ridicule. Let it snow, let it snow and snow. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. On Wednesday, the Oregon Health Authority confirmed 555 new coronavirus cases, bringing the state total to 148,475. The OHA also confirmed 13 new COVID-related deaths. A total of 2,044 Oregonians have died from the virus. Currently, 211 COVID patients are hospitalized in the state. 45% of Oregon prison staff are expected to refuse the coronavirus vaccine. Similarly, prior to a mask mandate, the Department of Corrections reported less than 10% of employees wearing masks at work. Dr. Daniel Dunsnup, the Oregon Department of Corrections infectious diseases expert, explained he was confused by this. Quote, I don't think it was a lack of education, but lack of acceptance of education. There are still large parts of Eastern Oregon, and well, everywhere really, 
50% of the population may believe that masking is part of a conspiracy. I can't explain that rationally. The national acceptance rate is estimated to be 61%. Oregon prison staff are responsible for all but one COVID outbreak in prisons. Joe Berger, the DOJ's Assistant Director of Health Services, said, quote, with limited supplies available, the state of Oregon determined that the most effective means of slowing transmission through the use of vaccines was to administer vaccines to staff as quickly as possible. Over a quarter of Oregon inmates have tested positive and 42 have died. Oregonians owe $378 million in overdue rent, but experts are warning the cost of the eviction moratorium could be much higher. On Tuesday, Portland State University's breathlessly named Homelessness Research and Action Collaborative released calculations outlining downstream costs of evictions. Those calculations found the associated cost of pandemic-related evictions could be $3.3 billion. These associated costs include emergency shelter, inpatient medical care, and foster care. Currently, 89,000 households owe back rent. That number is expected to grow. The burden falls disproportionately on communities of color, with 40% of households at risk of eviction belonging to BIPOC people. Oregon's eviction moratorium expires at the end of June, June 30th. Meanwhile, three Portlanders have died from fires in makeshift shelters this year. We're only a month and a half in, and already homelessness has resulted in the death of some Portland residents. The most recent Tuesday night, when a 27-year-old man died in his shelter on North Columbia Boulevard. With even colder weather approaching, city officials are working to prevent any more loss of life. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty had this to say, This is precisely why we need to urgently move forward with sanctioning camping, tiny home villages, safe RV parking, and other forms of low-barrier transitional housing that provide a higher degree of safety and stability for those currently sleeping on our streets. Moving these projects forward will make Portland safer for everyone. We can and must do better. And finally, some good news. In 2020, over 4 million ebooks circulated through Multnomah County Libraries, setting a record. Our libraries ranked as the 10th largest in digital circulation worldwide. This is largely thanks to the app Libby, which provides ebooks from local libraries. 2018 data showed Multnomah County Libraries ranked number two in circulation just nationwide. Our libraries have made that all the easier by doing away with late fees. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice of the United States is saying that Portland is no longer meeting four key reforms required under the settlement agreement adopted seven years ago regarding our police after a federal investigation found that officers used excessive force against people with mental illness. As reported by the Oregonian and others, the DOJ cited inappropriate use and management of force during last year's protests, inadequate police oversight, insufficient training, and a failure to adequately share the annual police bureau report with the public. And we will likely have more on that story tomorrow. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Here with pedestrian, bike, and transit news is Jonathan Maus, publisher and editor-in-chief of Bike Portland. Good morning, good morning, good morning, X-Ray. This is DJ Ambush. I'm in studio with Morgan Jones. And up next, we have an interview with Jonathan Maus. Uh, it's been an eventful week out here in Portland streets. Here to help us unpack the latest in pedestrian, bike, and transit news is Jonathan Maus, editor-in-chief of Bike Portland. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Ah, thanks for uh, waking up with us. <laughs> no problem. 
So the big news last week was a horrible tragedy that happened in the Buckman neighborhood when a man intentionally ran his car into 10 pedestrians. How have you been making meaning out of such a terrible act of violence? Well, I've, I've been uh, doing two, a lot of different things. So part of it is really zooming in closely to, to what happened. Uh, you know, went out to a vigil that took place for the one woman, Jean Garrett, who, who was killed uh, two Mondays ago. So uh, talking to her neighbors and, and friends and, and actually met some of her family members. So, you know, zooming in closely and trying to really feel what happened, I think, is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, I think zooming out and thinking of the bigger picture of what's going on in Portland and possibly you know, what, what can we do for events uh, like this and, and people like this, this Paul Rivas person who, who used his car as a weapon and wanted to kill people with it. Still, still unbelievable, really. Were there any uh, initiatives or things that you were working on that you think could have been helpful at all or, or, or things that maybe sprung up as a result of this incident? Things that maybe moved to you know, the front of the... Uh, front of your desk right it's an interesting question i think you know there's been some sort of throwing hands up i think by local leaders and sort of transportation officials because there's this idea that well there's just nothing we can do if one person decides to do this with their car right right? there's no there's no policy or street design that's going to prevent this and and we've heard that kind of reaction around let's say you know drunk driving or, or other things where you know, this idea that it's an individual's behavior, but I just don't think we're in a place to accept that answer anymore, and I don't think we should accept that answer. You know, we have a city that is able to do um, all sorts of marketing and culture change in other ways, mm-hmm. and I think that we need a similar uh, one thing that they could work on is doing that around uh, traffic culture and traffic civility in general. And of course, we won't necessarily get into it this morning, but there are tons of underlying issues here about why there's someone. It, 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 you know, in Portland, uh, like Mr. Rivas, uh, that actually ended up doing what he did. But right. in terms of initiatives, I think uh, another thing that we've been doing some reporting on recently is, you know, try, and I've been talking to folks in City Hall and, and commissioner staff and things like that about just trying to think out of the box a little bit and be innovative and, um, you know, about how we can, you know, say fortify our streets is how I've been talking about it. What can we do to make our streets tougher to thwart uh, you know, people who, who want to use their cars like that, or even folks that, you know, I think if you're, if you're driving down a neighborhood street in Buckman and you're on your phone uh, being distracted, I mean, I think you also have potential to do similarly terrible things. Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, we definitely need to, I think, make our streets more robust to prevent this kind of stuff as, as you know, as we see more and more people driving, you know, erratically and recklessly, whether intentional or not. So, you know, we've been doing a, uh, some reporting about, you know, there there is an, something important we've been doing a long time. It's called, you know, green streets. Folks might have seen those those planters on the corners that are supposed to soak up storm water. Mm. Um, you know, and so that's a whole different pot of money than, say, transportation money and actually a, a big a big pot of money. And but it's handled by a different bureau. Right. So it's in a Bureau of Environmental Services instead of the Bureau of Transportation. So. We're having there's discussions going on in the city, you know, about breaking down silos. People might have heard Commissioner Maps talk that way. He wants to, you know, see bureaus work more collaboratively. And and, and I've been saying on on Bike Portland, hey, here's a good opportunity. Let's maybe let's think about when we're spending a lot of money on a sewer project and Mm -hmm. putting in these these these, uh, green street planters is what the, the city calls them. Let's think about how to how to do those in a way that adds as much protection as possible. Yesterday, we shared a photo of one of these 
you know, vegetated planters on, on the street of, of one with the car sort of halfway, you know, basically swallowed up someone in their truck. Oh, wow. And, and really disabled their truck, right? So they kind of crashed into one of these big planted things. And, and, you know, the idea being, wow, those are really actually good at protecting sidewalks and protecting uh, a bike lanes. So, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I, I thought it was really interesting that um, actually tomorrow, today at city council, Commissioner Maps is going to authorize $24 million in his own neighborhood. And he lived about a block away from where this happened and where that woman was killed last Monday. Uh, he's going to authorize a $24 million project to do just that, to, wow. to use, you know, water and environmental services project money to build these Green Street planters all through the Buckman and Kearns neighborhood, basically the same map that, you know, the crime scene was at. So I think there is some opportunities to fortify our streets better. Um, I think it's a matter of, you know, educating city officials about this and getting them to think a little bit outside the box. Um, I was happy to see last night that uh, new Transportation Commissioner Joanne Hardesty uh, posted something on Twitter about the new leader of the United States Department of Transportation, and she was talking about uh, uh, how traffic deaths are preventable and encouraging mm. him to adopt a zero traffic death. And she did mention last week's hit and run. So good to see that it's on uh, Commissioner Hardesty's radar as well. Yeah, that is, that is amazing. Are there any other things outside of uh, the Green Streets Initiative that you think would be helpful? Well, yeah, I mean, there are definitely, I think, you know, we need to not look past, uh, you know, the, the transportation department, you know, locally. Uh, in terms of what they can do in these neighborhood streets. And I think, you know, reducing exposure to driving is really important. Uh, and I don't mean by people not walking in their neighborhoods. I mean that encouraging as few driving trips as possible. Every time someone in Portland decides to drive, you know, our, our risk of, of someone driving recklessly or distracted or using their car as a weapon goes up. So just another thing I think that should build urgency to encourage as many people as possible to you know, use transit, ride a bike if you can, you know, walk when you can, and then of course design, design our neighborhoods and, and, uh, and, and you know, town centers in a way that makes, makes that possible. I'm, 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 I got caught off guard by that suggestion. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> so eager to just hop in the car and, and you know, appreciate the convenience, just being able to get up and go. But yeah, yeah, you're right. That does that definitely increases the uh, probability of um, just accidents in general. More people driving, more accidents. Yeah. yeah, it does. And when you have a culture and a city and a transportation policies and projects that are all basically heavily weighted toward this sort of assumption, this default thinking that everybody's going to drive, well, then people that drive kind of think that, that that's the thing, and that there's this there's this level of sort of like entitlement. Right? There's this whole culture that goes on with driving a car and i think for some folks that can go south and that that entitlement can lead to a feeling of power and a feeling of dominance and then you mix that with sort of that that toxic vibe of of, of traffic violence you know we've been reporting by portland's been reporting for years about you know statements people make that make light of you know how fun it would be to quote you know run over pedestrians right or i just hate quote those cyclists on the street i wish they'd get off the road and or or the the rhetoric we heard over the summer about and and we saw over the summer about people driving their car into into uh Protest. protesters in the street right yeah. so there's a lot going on here culturally but i think you know portland at least from the transportation bureau's department has focused a lot on you know trying to make a new bike lane here and there trying to encourage people to use the bus but what we haven't done enough of is 
really get the message strongly and following up with policy, but the message that, hey, you know, we need to we need to think think really hard about how often we use our cars and how much of our city we give over to to that decision. Mm. Okay. Oh, wow. I, I I caught myself in some of your description there as far as a sense of entitlement. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, oh, there's a mirror. Well, that's <laughs> right. I mean, that's part of the challenge is that, you know, we, most people really do drive. I mean, I, I own two cars. Actually, our family owns three now. My teenager just got a, a car. So, you know, I, dri- I drive it around, too. A lot of people are, like, surprised. Like, oh, the bike Portland guy drives the car. It's like, yeah, but that's part of the that's part of what can make this conversation difficult is that we all we all do drive in, and as we know with other issues that really come to light in in the last several months here especially is that when you start talking about you know these things people people tend to get defensive they they feel like you're coming at them and all this stuff and mm-hmm. it's hard to make progress on any of these issues if, if we can't at least start naming the naming the problem naming the issue having honest conversations about you know where we're at so i think that's hopefully the, the terrible thing that happened two Mondays ago right. will you know, help move the ball you know, down the field a little bit in terms of us being able to talk about that. Because, right, it, there was something that forced a lot of these conversations that say about you know, racism in America and policing, right? It, there was things that a lot of people have been talking about that for a long time, and it's been right. for a long time, but there were things that forced the issue uh, more recently. And I think in, in the realm sort of in the realm of, of traffic and transportation advocacy and culture, what happened two Mondays ago in Portland, I think moves the ball downfield a little bit, or at least I hope it does in, in letting us talk about it a, a little more honestly and then thinking about how to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Portland Congressman Earl Blumenhauer introduced two new bike related tax incentives. Uh, what are those bills aimed to do? Yeah. So these are things that uh, Congressman Blumenhauer is working on for a while. And I think they are uh, him introducing them now. I think it's partly an illustration of, the sort of building excitement that uh, you know we've got a Biden administration and we've got actually a really good Secretary of Transportation for the first time in years. So someone like you know, Commissioner Blumenauer, uh, sorry, Congressman Blumenauer, who used to be a Transportation Commissioner in Portland, uh, he's introduced two bills, hoping to get them through what everybody expects to be a big, potentially big infrastructure package uh, coming down the line. So his bills were the Bike Share Transit Act, which would which is a way to codify uh, bike share, you know, like bike town, uh, but also mm-hmm. any kind of any kind of shared micromobility uh, system. So like the scooters, all that stuff. What this would do is it would elevate that in federal code so that uh, uh, cities and states and stuff could apply for federal grants and actually pay for bike share infrastructure. Because right now there's a huge, huge pot of money uh, called Congestion Mitigation and Air Quality Act mm. that, that funnels a lot of money to states. Uh, and it's for stuff that, you know, makes the air cleaner. So all the other parts of transit and stuff are included in that. But bike share is not in the code yet. So people can't pay for bike share stations, bike share systems and, and related infrastructure. So if that okay. was to pass, it'd be a lot easier for, for us to sort of build out those those systems, which have been greatly successful all, the, all over the country. It's really I do think it is time for them to kind of become more stream, more mainstream uh, policy wise. And the other one that he introduced is something that. Congressman Blue and I have been working on for decades and actually has had passed, but then the Republicans a couple of years ago in their tax bill uh, stripped it out. So it's called the Bicycle Commuter Act. And it's another issue looking for some fairness for for non-drivers, let's say, which is uh, it would it would expand the pre-tax uh, commuting benefit folks can get for, say, parking your car at work. You know, some folks are able to deduct some of that or get a pre-tax benefit from their employer or uh, you know, using transit actually is already part of the, the commute the commuter tax law, but 
the bicycle commuter, people that ride bicycles haven't been able to take part in that program uh, mm-hmm. the same way. Uh, they had it for a few years, but like I said, it got stripped out by Republicans recently. So Congressman Blue and I wants to put it back in with his Bicycle Commuter Act. And he's also adding some benefits for uh, specifically for electric bike uh, users to start try to encourage more of that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the coming administration does in terms of some of our own congressmen's long held, uh, you know, uh, efforts and, and stuff around the transportation issue, uh, because uh, some people might know he's been really involved with transportation for many years. But it's it's one thing to, to care about it as a congressman, but it doesn't really mean anything if you're if your party's not in power or if you don't have good leadership at the DOT. So now now Congressman Blumenauer has got that. So hopefully you know, he can really sort of flex his transportation muscles, uh, you know, in D.C. Yeah, my, my, my notes say that he's been uh, working on this for 15 years. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've been I was there actually 15 years ago and introduced it up in the, on Capitol Hill in D.C. We had a breakfast on the hill at this, this biking advocacy event. And, you know, I was really inspired. Here's this guy from Oregon talking about fairness for bike commuters. And I was just this wide eyed you know, reporter, super excited and stuff. So there's been all sorts of ups and downs on it. Uh, and, and it's finally, it, it's nice. I think it's going to be here to stay. I'm sure it's going to pass with any transportation legislation that goes through. So it'll be great to see it actually in, in the policy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I, 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 I'll admit, um, the electric scooters definitely <laughs> captured my heart last summer. Good. Uh, oh, good to hear it. I rode them for a lot longer than I should have into the fall. And I think oh. <laughs> I was like, you know, really upset when they disappeared. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said when you said you rode them a lot longer than you should have, I thought you were going to talk about some long journey you took on because they're, <laughs> they're kind of tough to take over, you know, you know, two miles or so. You start getting tired on those little things. I, I, well, yeah, I've done a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. I've okay. definitely had to, uh, you know, replace scooters mid trip. <laughs> what about what about the bike town bikes? Have you tried those? I haven't. OK. All right. They're electric, too, now. Are they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Too. I might try it's that. Super, super deluxe. It's uh, very nice. And for longer trips, it's just more comfortable, I think. But uh, the scooters, they're not maybe not quite as fun. You know, I do think the scooters are cool and fun. And yeah. I like the little small small footprint of the scooter. You can just kind of get anywhere with those. Absolutely. Those and, and, the, and the sit-down electric bikes with the big fat oh, wheels, yeah. those are the ones. Yeah. Those are the yeah. ones. Yeah. <laughs> so um, do you feel like... Uh, as you were just tracking all the activity with with these different um, uh, accidents and assaults, and and mm. has it been on the rise or like is there, is this trending up? Do you do you think you you know know any reasons why this could be happening? Yeah, I mean it's it's a question I don't really like to answer because it is I do think it is going up. I'm, I'm always trying. I'm always struggling to balance between getting people excited about. Uh, you know, walking, biking, taking scooters and stuff, but also being truthful about what's really happening. And I think at right. this moment, we have to acknowledge that there there are more people driving more recklessly. The level of uh, and and that's and so because that's because and it's been documented. It's because you know there are fewer people out driving right now, uh, which means the roads are, look bigger to people, mm. and then you know the roads look bigger. People kind of fill the space with. I mean, that's kind of a traffic engineering 101 thing. But there's also, you know, it's an extreme amount of, of anger and desperation and, and anxiety out there right now in our culture. And I think 
you know, I mean, think about folks sitting at home most of the time. They get in their car, so one time they feel like they can, you know, maybe uh, do something fun, right? And like yeah. I said before, we, we do have a really, unfortunately, toxic culture around driving in America. And if you maybe you, maybe you watched an ad before you got in your car of a of, of some car going super fast and glorifying speed and, and illegal driving, which happens all the time. So you hop in your car, and you know, in, in the wrong mindset, in the wrong person, that that can lead to, to bad outcomes. So I do think. You know, we're starting to see more people do that. It certainly doesn't help when we have these higher profile incidents because yeah. it, I think it puts it just like other things, right? Whether it's someone using a gun or doing other kind of rioting at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it gives it sort of tells people while a lot of us sort of say tis tis and shoot, you know, think, oh, this is crazy. You can't, we can't believe this happened. Who does this kind of thing? I mean, we have to be on it. There are a lot of people who see that and, and it sort of sort of validates maybe some of the some of the feelings they're having or, or some of the hate they mm. feel about the people who were targeted. And, and like I said, there's a long documented history. Just look on bike Portland. There's tons of stories over time. A lot of people say I'm, I'm whining or I'm making too much of it of people making statements that devalue people on the other side of their windshield. Right. And I think, so you know, I do think we need to be, have our eyes wide open that this stuff is happening more. And I think if we, if we just wish it away as a, a one-time thing that we just can't imagine, mm. that's certainly not going to help us prevent it from happening again. And that's what I'm worried about. Uh, that's why I'm trying to help folks connect some dots on maybe some more innovative ideas, ways to shake more money loose so that we can actually fortify our neighborhoods against this stuff. I mean, right now we have a transportation commissioner who came out one of the seven days after she got the bureau, Commissioner Hardesty said she really wants to create more space downtown where you can't drive. Nice. Uh, and I think and, she, and a lot of people were really excited about that, right? So it's time to really, and I think that's related to what uh, we're talking about yeah. here, people using their cars as weapons, right? So, and, and about what I said about uh, we have to discourage even the trip to begin with and start thinking about, you know, every time someone gets in a car, our whole community's risk goes up. So if we can create spaces in our city that are fortified and or, you know, just prohibit driving outright, I, I think that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a little it is it is concerning that, that mm-hmm. these kind of things are happening. And uh, I mean, actually, a couple of days ago in Colombia, we saw a man who was in a, a hit and run, tried to flee. I think someone said something to him and he pulled out a gun and, and shot it at him and, and it kept running. Right. So wow. we're kind of at a real inflection point in terms of traffic violence and in intentional use of cars as weapons and things like that. So. I think Portland needs to be really, really careful right now. Our leadership needs to be careful about how they talk about it. Yeah. I was happy yesterday that uh, Commissioner Maps last week, a couple of days after uh, Monday's violence happened, Commissioner Maps referred to it as a murder uh, at a city council session. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, the kind of language that we do need to use. So, you know, I'm, I'm worried about what's happening, but but I'm hopeful that, that, that people are finally starting to get it a little bit more and starting to understand how serious it is. And uh, I hope the reaction is to not cower down and stay inside right. and, and think that, oh, I'm just going to fortify my own personal space by getting in a big steel car and driving a bigger SUV. But I hope people respond by saying, you know, hell no, we're going to get out in the street and remind people that streets are for people and our city is about people and having fun and meeting face to face and walking and scootering and biking. Right. So I'm hopeful that that's the way Portland's going to respond. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. You, you actually stole my last question, which was how <laughs> can people get involved and you, you wrapped it up. With that. Thank that's you so it. much for your time today, man. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks to Jonathan for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving your five-star review, and thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.